If you like the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash slipangleshow, and you can visit our new home on the web at www.tracktuned.com backslash slipangle. You can also leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes. Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and tonight is episode 52, and I'm actually joined by intern Derek, Derek Yarbrough, all the way out in Houston, Texas, or around Houston, Texas. What's going on, Derek? Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, Adam could not join us tonight. He's being uh, a little tired and sick. He said he was out in zero degree weather most of the day today for work, so I do not blame him there. Unfortunately, he's not like a professional snowboarder or anything. I think he was just putting in some windows. But, uh, you know, I, I feel for him, man. I can't believe I'm going up to Chicago for a couple weeks up into that weather. I traded L.A. for Chicago. And I don't know how you guys do it. We have we got a 60-degree day is here in Texas right now. Yeah, or yeah, shorts, whatever. Or shorts last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were actually, uh, Jessica and I went up to Asheville, North Carolina, and woke up to a little bit of snow on Sunday morning. So uh, I'm really glad that I swapped off the summer tires, um, you know, and went back to the stalkers. The wagon looks super, super goofy right now, but that's okay. I'm probably going to rock like that for the next couple of weeks. So, well, Derek, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know right now you've got a vet, but uh, what's your background? I know you did a little bit of motocross racing and stuff like that. Yeah, I started out. Um, young, my dad got me into motocross and, uh, started out that early, probably four or five years old. And then kind of rode motocross on and off race and, and kind of got that, um, competition itch sunk in. And, uh, basically ever since then, I am either riding motocross or trying to find something to fill the void of chasing progression and trying to find something that, um, hits that adrenaline, adrenaline scratch. Okay. And, uh, I sold, I, uh, sold both my bikes, uh, about two years ago and decided I wanted to get into tracking cars. So I sold both my bikes in my truck and bought the vet with intentions of tracking it. Okay. Now what influenced that? Like, did you have buddies that were tracking cars and stuff or where'd you kind of, where'd you kind of get that idea? Um, just I just wanted to, like, yeah. I, I just had thought about, I've always wanted to race cars and I didn't realize how accessible it was. If I would have known that you could do track days and stuff and, uh, I would have done it a long time ago, but I kind of, I kind of got the itch for a fast car because I, I turned 25 last March and I could finally afford insurance on something fast. And, uh, when you come to find out now you can you can track Hondas and stuff and have lots of fun. Yeah, man. But but, but my mindset my mindset pre knowing anything about track, I uh that's what that was my mindset. I was like, Oh, I can finally afford, you know, to get a Mustang or Corvette or something, you know? Yeah. And being in <laughs> Texas, man, like this you kinda gotta have something with a V eight. That's just the way that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah, unless you unless you drive really far to West Texas, you're not going to find any curvy roads. So no. you get bored in anything that, you know, momentum cars are fun, but when all you have is straight roads or the racetrack, 
you know, yeah, gets boring quick. You know, uh, I know you're you're doing your first NASA weekend this weekend. Uh, go watch the American Iron and Camaro Mustang Challenge, the CMC cars. Dude, that is some of the most interesting racing to watch in that region, in my opinion. I, I mean, Spec uh, Miata is big there, too, but... I did spectate for a few hours a NASA event um, last... I don't know, was it... It was kind of over the summer. It was uh, right after I did my first track day. Um, at MSR Houston, okay. I went and spectated a NASA event for a few hours, and the American Iron and uh, CMC races was they were kicking off. It was uh, the SD classes and uh, TT classes, and then the American Iron right after. And okay, I did watch it, and and it's some close racing. Those guys go for it. Yeah, and those guys, those guys are nuts, and I don't know. They just they love all having a good time together. I mean, it's. Uh, that group is uh, in the Texas area is a perfect example of a social racing group, you know, because they're all they get out and they compete and it's all fierce when they're on track. But then, you know, you see them all in the paddock and everything afterwards and they're having beers together, having a good time. Yeah, everyone's really I, I kind of walked around the paddock a little bit and uh, there was a a Corvette, the same color as mine, but it was a race car, SD1 okay. car. OK, um, caged. uh on CCWs, Big Arrow, uh, no interior. And I talked to the guy, and he was really nice. He talked to me all about it, very welcoming. Mm-hmm. I was asking him about his suspension and stuff like that. So was his a Grand Sport too? No, his was a Z06. Okay, it was the same color okay. though. It was okay. a, it was a Z06, and uh, number. F- I remember it was number four eighty. It's on my Instagram still. Okay, I took a picture of it. But yeah, thing was. He was uh, he was going fast. He was at the front of the ST1 field when I was watching him. Okay, watching him run. Now I know you wrote an article about uh, you know kind of your first track day experience recently. Um, yeah. But kind of take us back. Like, what kind of things for our listeners that are thinking about maybe getting into track <laughs> days? What kind of things did you think were going to be different? Um, you know, going into that first track day, that when you got there, you realized that just wasn't the case. Um. I- I'm used to motocross and in motocross, there's a lot less direction. Mm -hmm. Um, When you go in motocross, it's just pretty much open session the whole time or when you're at the track or they split it between little bikes and big bikes. Right. And so I wasn't really used to all the structure, the classroom and uh, the, you have to be at a certain time. You have to be there ready. And then the instruction was also, um, something I really didn't expect to be so helpful. Okay. Yeah. So, so going into it, like, you know, did you, I guess, how did you approach your instructor? Were you like, this guy isn't going to be able to show me very much or, you know, what was your, what was your honest mindset? I had a full open mind. Okay. Yeah. I had a full open mind just coming from motorsport background already. I mean, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you're not, you're not going to get better. Yeah. And, and you don't know. And, and I was in the green session, which uh, the Driver's Edge, the uh, program I did it with, <clears throat> they uh, they don't they don't do HBD one, two, and three. They do green, uh, blue, yellow, red. Same concept right. though. Right. And they have an instructor group, and then uh, you have to have an instructor with you even in blue. So you have an instructor with you in green, then blue, then you get cleared solo for yellow the intermediate group. Okay. And, uh, you could, you could see, you could see out on track, the people who weren't listening to the instructors, <laughs> yeah. you know, you could see, 
Um, there was a, a gentleman in, in a uh, Camaro that had a big Pro Charger hanging off the front of it. And uh, he was just all over the place and probably had 600 horsepower. <laughs> you just listen to the instructor and you go ride around him. Yeah. Now, how, what was his uh, demeanor like when he was in the classroom sessions? You know, because that's, that's another um, tall tale sign to me. Um, you know, just having some experience is that sometimes the, the people that are slowest out on track are the ones that, you know, come in and talk about how great the session was, or they might talk about how everyone was in their way, holding them up, things like that. No, the, the, uh, driver's edge, uh, they do a good job of taking control of the classroom session. So okay. you're really just listening the whole time. It, yeah. It's, a uh, the, a lot of classroom session with that organization and they're big on safety Yeah, and the, for any green student, um, if you're not on track, you're in the classroom okay. pretty much the whole day. So in between each session, you're in a classroom, and and there was really no one being, I guess, honorary in the in the classroom. But you could see some some silly stuff on the <laughs> on the racetrack. Yeah, you know, uh, I've seen a a lot of different stuff, and I, I know Adam would definitely say that he's seen tons of different things too. So it's um. You know, I think the the big thing that somebody can have, uh, or I guess the most important thing that somebody that's looking at getting into doing track days can have is really just open to mind, you know, listen to your instructor, uh, which, you know, you said you you found very beneficial. Uh, those first couple of sessions, how how were they for you? Was it kind of like sensory overload? You're trying it to figure out the track? It was way sensory overload. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was. I, I, I thought that it was going to be less overwhelming, and it was it was very overwhelming uh, just because you're always, I mean, you have the instructor in your ear helping you the whole time, but it's constantly, you're hearing him talk at this or her, or at the same time as you're trying to process all the information. Right. And, uh, my instructor did really good job with, uh, and I advise other instructors to do this at well, as well as the corner stations, making me look at the corner stations as soon as I could see them yep. and focus on them helps so much at, help speed naturally like i just started going faster because i was looking so far down the track yeah because and he would watch my eyes and if i wasn't staring at the corner station and could tell him what color the flag was you know yeah you know later later on during the weekends when i'm instructing i usually like to have my student tell me you know as soon as they're looking at the corner worker station. So we're coming we did, out of a we corner. We did that drill. Yeah. So, and it, it kind of keeps you relaxed too. You know, the, a good instructor will, will take you through drills that kind of, you know, help reinforce certain things, but it'll also kind of free your mind up from having to be so focused on what you're doing. Um, and, yes. and the goal is by the end of the weekend, just to have you relaxed, understanding what you're doing really your first weekend or two. It's not so much about the speed as much as it is being aware of what's on track and being safe. You know, like yeah. we, I know for me, I don't care how fast my student is. I want them to be safe. I want them to be predictable and I want them to know what's going on around them. And learn, learning the line because a racing line on a road course was so different than a motocross line. Yeah. It's completely, it's completely different. There's some concepts that are the same, slow in, fast out, but the, the racing line is, is really different. You would never come from way outside to inside yeah. on a motocross track. You would get you get cleaned out. Yeah. So when someone's going to dive bomb you, man, especially with all the, yeah. you know, with, you know, especially if a ruts form down inside the turn, like you can have, you know, tons of grip down in there. Do you ever try yeah. and open the door in the vet and like stick your foot out going around a corner? 
<laughs> no, I didn't try to do that. <laughs> okay. I, ha- I have done that on a street bike on the street. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's but, the new uh, style in MotoGP now, man. That's what a lot of the top level riders are doing on street bikes or on in MotoGP is, uh, is sticking a foot out. I had a, I had a year in my life where I had a, uh, Gixxer, uh, 600, mm-hmm. 2006, 600. I, I, I had it in 2008 and, uh, I put good tires on it and would just ride all the curvy roads I could find. And I, I did one night late. I was going around a sharp curve too fast, 90 miles an hour, and it started to lose the front. And it just started to slip, and I just put my foot down, mm-hmm. exactly like you're saying, mm-hmm. and stood the bike back up and then rode 40 miles an hour all the way back home. Yeah. You know, I, I say <laughs> it um, I say it in the cars, uh, that the car is going to do what it wants to do. Uh, motorcycles are even even more the same way. You know, I've I've ridden bikes a decent amount. Um, you know, never really at a, a high level or anything, but I, I've enjoyed them. Um, and motorcycles, man, it's, uh, it's completely different. We actually, um, one of, uh, one of my, my friends, uh, that I was introduced to through my buddy, John Wagliardo, um, actually passed away uh, in a motorcycle accident just a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think. I think last Thursday I got Terrible. a text. Yeah. So, That's and he'd I been riding my- for a while too. Someone just pulled out in front of him. His name was, uh, was yeah. Brian Dunbar. He was actually a, an Audi guy or uh, sorry, a Volkswagen guy, a diesel guy. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just be safe out there guys. Yeah. I don't, I, that's why I sold mine. I, I had a year in it and I decided, well, I didn't get any tickets and I didn't get hurt. So let's, uh, let's just cut our losses. <laughs> if yeah. I ever want to do it again, I would just buy a track bike with no lights and just do track days on them. Yeah. I, I wouldn't ride them on the street anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and I think the more, as you start doing more and more track days, it starts becoming the same thing. Like I still enjoy driving on a nice mountain road. But unfortunately, the skills that uh, I've developed from driving on the track so much, it outright like this, just the speed in the curves can be outright dangerous. You know, I I used to think that I could drive quickly in the curves before, before I ever did a track day. Um, But as I started doing more and more track days, like the speeds just kept getting more and more intense in the mountains. And it just uh, I don't do it quite as much anymore. If I do, it's in a slow TDI wagon now. (laughs) So yeah, I'm sure the Integra would be my Integra would be plenty of fun in the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> take the yeah. So what, what made you get the, the Integra? I know when you first started like talking to us, uh, it was pretty much due to the show. Uh, was there anything that like really stuck out that, uh, that Adam or I right. or any guests said that kind of well, made you decide to I, pull the trigger? I guess that goes back to my car history. Um, previously, uh, I had, I don't, I'm not going to go through all the cars I've had because I've had a bunch, all right. <laughs> but at one point I had a 96 black Integra LS. It was all stock except for it. I bought it this way. It was police stock, airbox, exhaust, everything, but it was just, it was slammed on ground controls. Okay. Uh, and I just drove it like that, um, for a long time. And I love that car, man. And, uh, some some idiot t-boned me had a four-way i was taking a left out of four-way and a guy was on his phone it was wet and he just uh head-on collision from a dodge truck at like 50 miles an hour oh jeez, no scratches so so say what you want about your mid-90s hondas save me (laughs) (laughs) and uh and yeah and i just really like that car and fast forward um, my daily at the time is a 2007 Honda S2000. Okay. 
and I've, I've got the vet too. So I'm daily in the S2000. It's got some miles on it at this point, 140,000 miles. And I've got the Corvette for my HPD car, okay. play car. So why, why the vet and not track the S2000? Just like I said, before I knew anything about track days, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I want to go have something fun and fast. So that was my mindset then, okay. pre-knowing anything about it. So I bought the vet. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to go track, I want to, you know, track in something fast. Yeah. Now I think back, I probably should have just drove the S2000. <laughs> but, it's a great car, man. Yeah. But there's other things. I was kind of over the S2000. I mean, I, I had put almost 80,000 miles on it daily in it. Yeah. And I was, at, you just get bored. I get bored of stuff. I was yeah. just bored of it. There's no room. It's tight. I'm like six foot tall. It's a tight car. Yeah. And, uh, so I got, I did my first track day in the vet and I'm thinking, well, I'm paying this note on this S2000. I think I'll sell it and get a cheaper daily. And then, then I'll have room in my budget for maybe a truck and trailer. You mm-hmm. know, if I want to trailer to the vet to the track and, uh, no, nah, I mean, you just drive the vet to the track. You don't need a yeah. truck and trailer. Yeah, I could, but I'm the kind of guy, I mean, there's something to be said for, uh, just driving your car to the track, but just coming from motocross, like I'm used to having my setup. Like I like to leave the house ready to go. I don't like to work on shit at the track. Yeah. I don't want to get to the track and have to swap tires and wheels. I'd rather do everything. I'm not a morning person either. Yeah. So I'd rather do everything and have it ready to go and be there. And I don't like to in- inconvenience other people either. So I'd hate, you know, I break the Corvette at the track or something happens. Hey man, can I, I get a ride home? <laughs> yeah, someone can I use your trailer, you know? Um so if I if I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it the the right way. Right. Now what uh what are you looking at for tow rigs? Um I'm looking at twenty five hundred suburbans. I might settle nice. on the fifteen hundred if okay. I find something really cheap. Yeah. But I want the uh you know, ninety nine through oh six, twenty five hundred suburban, the with the six liter. Nah, I mean, if you're I gonna do it, get that eight one, man. I would, but people people are proud of them. Yeah, you know, they, yeah, they're you know, they're, they're 4, very pricey. <laughs> Four thousand dollar premium for something that's only going to get probably, probably drive five thousand miles a year. In yeah, it. why not like an excursion <laughs> or something, man? Excursions are cool. Because uh, you you told but, me before you had an F two fifty before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I sold I sold the F two the F two fifty. I had a uh, two thousand and one uh, white Lariat F two fifty, and it Seven, was three? Lift- Seven three, nice. Yep, two thousand one would be a seven three, and uh, it was lifted six inches on twenty twos and thirty sevens. Big truck. Okay. I just I just wanted something fun to uh, haul my dirt bikes to the track with that wouldn't lose much value. Yeah. And that did the job. I didn't want to keep it just because I had a lot of money just tied up into buying it. Yeah. And if I wasn't gonna have fun in it anymore, then I mean, people people are proud of those seven threes, especially there in Texas, man. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I bought the truck from a local guy around here for $15,000. I drove it for a year and just did a couple maintenance things and put tires on it. You know, nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah. And uh, put it on Craigslist and sold it for $14,500 in a week. Wow. It's not bad at all, yeah. man. And I had come to find out the truck had been wrecked. I never did a Carfax on it. And okay. the truck had had some front end damage and the guy didn't care. Still gave me 14500 So huh. made out like a abandoned on that 
Yeah. But 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 yeah, I thought about um excursions, but if I got one, I'd want the seven three. And then then you know, they're proud of those things too. Yeah. So especially if you um, want like a seven three, four wheel drive, and you know, that's that's when they start getting up there in price pretty Yeah, I don't I don't want a four wheel drive, but No. I don't know, man. Uh and they they have their pros and cons. I'm I'm kind of about the tow rig thing. I'm thinking the less stuff that can break, the better. That's and, true. I guess so it, it depends true. on where you're going. Uh, you know, like in mid Ohio, when it would rain, uh, I had seen two wheel drive trucks get stuck. Like, cause normally out there you're, you're parked in the grass uh, at a lot yeah. of events and especially with the truck and trailer, like it just, it'll sink in, man. Yeah. So it, it just depends on where tires, you're going. Those heavy trucks are going to get stuck no matter what. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Four-wheel drive. I've never seen a four-wheel drive truck get stuck that bad in grass compared to, yeah. you know, two-wheel drive. <laughs> so it's not that it's it's muddy in the paddock. It's just that, like, with all that weight, they'll sink in, and it's all over that back axle, and, you know, they just can't they can't get out of there, man. But, but yeah, I, uh, I used to have a, uh, a Chevy Silverado 2006, so I'm, I guess I'm kind of being nostalgic. I want to... Okay be in the old interiors i used to be in so yeah. the suburban looks familiar to me yeah and uh if you get two-wheel drive man you gotta you gotta slam it <laughs> i could slam it i guess yeah there you um, go the uh the cool thing or i guess about the suburbans is the motors are so cheap like, i guess I'm, I'm the same reason i like the integra is because anything goes wrong with it it's so cheap to fix yeah and the Suburban is kind of the same deal. The, those motors have been around for so long that you can find them out of anything. If anything ever goes wrong, and the, all the parts are plentiful. They made them for so long. Yeah, and they're they're a lot cheaper to fix. You know, diesel stuff. Um, diesel runs really good when it runs good. I never really had an issue with mine. Um, <clears throat> but usually when it breaks, uh, it's something expensive. Exactly. Like if you wanted to do a motor in a 7.3, you lost the motor on a 7.3, you'd be out some cash fixing that and i had to do a couple little maintenance things on mine some some high pressure oil pump seals and stuff mm-hmm. and all that stuff adds up it's so much more complex yeah you've got that oil driving the injectors and it's all high pressure any leaks it yeah it builds up like i think it'll it builds up 500 psi of pressure because the yeah. you know the injectors are hydraulically powered by the oil the engine oil you know that's why yeah. there's 15 quarts of engine oil in the thing <laughs> my corvette holds uh 10 quarts. Oh, does it really? Yeah. Is that, a, a, dry is that a dry sump? Okay. I was about to ask if it was a dry sump. So yeah, that's pretty yeah, sweet. That's another reason why I picked it is, uh, is the Grand Sport. It's kind of like the secret fun track car for a cheap price mm-hmm. comparatively in that world. Um, cause you get the, you get the Z06 likes, you know, brakes and wide body and then you get the LS reliable, more reliable LS3, but you get the Z06 dry sump with yeah. it. Now, what what body styles did they make those in? I know I've seen, I feel like I've seen Targas and I've seen um, convertibles. Did they make coupes too? Yeah. Uh, no, they no they coupes? just have the Targas okay. and then the convertibles. Okay. But I mean, they look exactly the same. The yeah, Z06s. Yeah. The 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 difference is the aluminum frame. So the Grand Sport is a steel frame car, like a base Corvette. Okay. And then the Z06 and the ZR1 are aluminum frame. And that's the reason why they weren't Targa, because they needed the, the top. The rigidity, to, yeah. To make them stiff enough, yeah. Okay. Which I, I guess if you're making a race car, honestly, the steel frame's probably better because it's way easier to cage. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we heard Modi, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember if he said it on the show or not, uh, but he was telling me that, you know, he caged a Z06 and that was a, a big issue was getting a steel cage on an aluminum frame. So it's uh, yeah. a little bit, yeah, a little I, bit I of a challenge. Yeah. And so. uh, he did say that. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you hear that through the Corvette forums. It's the same thing. Like you have to be a lot pickier about your cage builder. You need somebody that knows about aluminum. Yeah. And with a Targa, okay. it's nice too, because they can rip the freaking Targa off. Well, I guess even in the other cars, you can unbolt it. Yeah. So, but it's way harder. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And if I want to change seats, it's a whole lot easier. My car. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Man, those Corvettes have some big doors, though, man. Those <laughs> are some long, doors. long doors. So um, now I know, you know, you have your second or your first NASA event coming up here soon um, this weekend, actually. Uh, what yeah. what kind of things are you kind of expecting? What have you heard about NASA? Um, um, you know, and- I guess I've just heard it's it's um they probably don't babysit you as much as the organization i was with before because Mm -hmm. they're racing Mm -hmm. you know so they have a lot more going on i'll probably a little bit less track time probably same amount of sessions but i think the sessions are a little shorter 20 minute sessions versus 25 to 30 right with uh the driver's edge okay so i really don't know what to expect i mean uh you've done hpd with nasa i mean what was it like your first time um my first time uh with nasa was actually at roebling road and it, it was great uh, you know, but that was also my first track day ever. So I didn't really have experience with anybody else um, going in. I had a friend who ran with NASA when I was in college and his dad ran with NASA too. So uh, a couple weeks after I graduated college, that's what I was doing. You know, I went and did that. Um, didn't really know what to expect, but came away floored. You know, the classroom sessions were great. I learned a whole lot in the classroom sessions. I had some really, really good instructors too, which, um, you know, I've, there's specific things that, that all of the instructors that I've had, there's specific things that they've done or had me do that I transfer now when I, you know, when I'm instructing, um, I use a lot of those same techniques because I saw how well they worked for me. So pay, pay if you, cause I, I know in your article, you were saying your, your ultimate goal is to kind of be an instructor. Um, as you have different instructors, I'd advise you to kind of pay attention to what works well for you that they do and what doesn't and just kind of study them as as an instructor. You know, you can you can essentially be their understudy as a student, you know, and there's no better way to kind of learn how to instruct than from the people that are actually instructing you. So go ahead and and try and do that. I can say for anybody who hasn't done a track day yet, when you do insist on taking a ride with your instructor, because that was very helpful. Yeah. So and sometimes yeah. I, I use that technique of uh, of taking students for rides uh, for students that might not necessarily trust me because I'm so young and apparently young mm-hmm. uh, in the driving world transfers to inexperienced. <clears throat> so some of the oldest, um, the older students that I've had before, I can tell if they don't trust me, uh, I'll take them out in my car. Uh, the the other kind of flip side to that, though is because the student sees what the car can do, uh, it can kind of create bad habits or create uh, a little bit extra confidence in them that isn't really needed. So always take that that ride with a grain of salt. Like, yes, your instructor can drive that way, but they have a lot more seat time. So just because they're breaking it the one doesn't mean that you can break it the one, et cetera, et cetera. That's normally more like in a Miata or something where you can break super late, but... Um, you're not breaking yeah, it the one, one anywhere in a Corvette. 
one unless you're driving super slow. One thing my instructor kind of, um, and he had the my instructor was a he was at the driver's edge uh, program with me, but he was an NASCAR racer too. Okay, and so he's an older older guy. He didn't start tracking until he was in his late fifties, I think. Yeah. So and then uh, ended up racing Corvette, a uh, Corvette and ST1. Okay. So I mean the guy, the guy could wheel for sure. And I rode with him. He had a 370Z there. Okay. And I rode with him. It was a stock 370Z with brake pads, and it was impressive to just <clears throat> ride with him. But one thing he explained to me was the way that it works is you learn a new skill on that ad speed. Yep. So it, he would kind of ex- explain it as building blocks. So focus on learning the next skill, uh, for example, braking or, I mean, just perfecting inputs. And, and he said, as you learn each thing, you'll get faster. You don't concentrate on going faster. You perfect your skill mm-hmm. and then this speed will come. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's the kind of instructor that you want. Uh, somebody that can kind of put things in, in more simple terms to where you understand. So. Is there anything else that is there anything else that he did that kind of resounded with you that, you know, you think moving forward that that you'll think back to? Yeah, everything. The whole experience. God, I couldn't speak any highlier uh, about him. Just having someone uh, that had experience in the same chassis that I was driving was very helpful. Yeah. You've driven MSR Houston or driven MSR Houston. Yeah. There's a there's a big um, we were going counterclockwise. Okay. so. I've got the turns mixed up, but uh, after the straight, the finish line straight, you go left and then you go right. And then you go into the carousel, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's the carousel. Yeah. And uh, he he was explaining to me how to steer with the throttle through that turn. Oh, yeah, it's a perfect place. Perfect place to figure that out. I was super impressed with uh, him trying teaching me. Like I felt like advanced technique on my first day. He felt comfortable enough, I guess, but it was was nice because you – you would feel the car start to um, understeer a little bit, and he would tell me you lift a little. And, and tightens you, up that radius a little bit. Yep. Yep. And then you say, he, he said, now fill the back left rear tire set, and then once it sets, you can go. Yep. And, and that, was, uh, that was something big he did. And, and just overall making me smooth. Like I would start to get a little frantic. Um, just coming from motocross background, again, is you can be a lot more aggressive on dirt. Yeah. And uh, just smooth, smoothing me out, um, explaining that when you go through the corner, you want as least amount of input as possible, and that's going to be the fastest way. Yeah. Yeah, so, the, the least amount of input you can have, like, um, you know, turn one and two there, uh, at least going, you know, clockwise. I My first instructor that I had there was uh, was, what was it? uh matt breeze and essentially he showed me that you can turn in and if you really nail that corner just right you turn in for one and two and you don't touch the wheel again until you're winding you know until you're coming out of two uh back on the throttle so if you really just kind of make a constant radius through there that's when that's when the car's happiest so fast yeah to to do that to not have to make any corrections and he focused on that a lot and 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 did some weird lines adjusted the lines to help me learn that at first and mm-hmm. then tightened up on the racing line. So Especially there, like cool. running at, at MSR Houston, running counterclockwise, coming out of one onto the front straight, you got the wall right there. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> it's a little scary, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I I ran with um my competitive mode or whatever on, mm-hmm. so it saved me a couple of times. I I want to experiment a little bit, little with that, um, on this next track day this weekend. Yeah, like turning it off and testing. Do you know it which direction you guys are running this weekend? I, it doesn't say a counterclockwise, so I'm assuming we're going clockwise because okay. I think NASA has it's like a whole days. new track for you, then, man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. So that'll that'll be good. Yeah, and uh, I'm ex- I'm excited to find to figure out the line going going the other way. Yeah, you know, Will Falls at uh, NASA Texas runs a really really good program. So I think uh, I think you're you're gonna be in really good hands. Yeah, I'm gonna introduce myself and say I'm with Slip Tuned and Track Angle. Yeah, there you go, man. <laughs> so yeah, I meant to uh, to meet up with Will at the 25 Hour Thunder Hill, but uh, I just couldn't. So. Well, I think I texted him in the middle of the night and I think he was sleeping and then he was getting in the car the next morning to drive and just wasn't able to meet up with him. So one one question I have for you. Yeah. Um about your or the NASA days you've been at. Um mm-hmm. what's the driver meeting like? Like however you pair with your instructor? Because at the driver's edge everything was done pre, you know, you sign yeah. up and say what kind of car you're driving and then they pair you with an instructor that has experience in your car, which was I thought was cool. Does NASA do anything like that? Or, um, or they, when you show up, do they kind of assign then or they do so kind of what's going to happen you're going to go to your driver's meeting first thing in the morning and that's going to be everybody like literally everybody that's driving is going to be there and they'll go over just you know the basics of what the day is going to be like any specific things if they're you know where you need to go for for grid to line up uh your pit in and and you know when you come in kind of how they want traffic to flow and everything um and then normally they'll break out and kind of have you know the instructors and say hey instructors you know come over here uh you know HPD 1 and 2 students come over here um cuz at the time when I was running with Texas I think they ran HPD 1 and HPD 2 together I think they do here too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Two, one and two together and three yeah. and four together. And three and four together. They have a schedule yeah. up. Okay. So, yeah. So, so they'll kind of break that. They'll break you into your groups. And then, um, normally they'll kind of, they'll, they'll go over kind of your stuff and then they'll go over instructor stuff with instructors and then they'll kind of bring the instructors over and, you know, introduce you. Um, every region does it a little bit different. I don't know exactly how, how NASA Texas is kind of running theirs, uh, at the moment. So I can't speak well to that. Um, but usually you will be introduced to your instructor before you guys ever get in a car together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for me, like all of my first instructors, uh, you know, I was in my S2000, so it was all like rear wheel drive instructors is kind of, is what I had, uh, Miata guys, uh, and S2000 guys, uh, and Corvette guys. So, um, those were yeah, kind of my, my first instructors. Essentially those three cars were all the same car. They're just, yeah, just different, different like power. Yeah, pretty much. So that's uh, and actually the Corvette could really be added in there to be honest. Um, you know, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. That's what I was saying. Yeah. yeah the Miata's the smallest S2000 in the middle and then Corvette's the biggest. Yeah. yeah. And then, you I know, any the, of your BMWs and, and really it's, it's more, the rear wheel drive line is very similar to, you know, the other rear wheel drive line, like in for any chassis. Um, yeah. but even then, you know, it works well for, for one car. I mean, you could have two of the same exact car, but they're going to have a little bit of differences. So you're going to have to do things a little bit different. Um, but for the most part, that's usually how most organizations go. You know, if there's a same, an instructor with the same exact car, great. You know, they'll try and kind of line them up, uh, for the most part. Your instructors that you have are, are usually regulars with those groups. 
So the lead instructor kind of knows who is who, what kind of personality mm-hmm. they have. Maybe if it's, uh, you know, the instructor is a little bit uh, older, you know, and might be well suited to a little bit of an older student. Um, it just depends because a lot of times you don't really see the ages too, like of the students when they're signed up. Yeah. So it, it just depends, you know, like I run with a group called Hooked on Driving and they're really good. At least the the group that I run with here in Georgia um, is really good at kind of gauging that a little bit. Uh, every group's going to be a little bit different. As you run with more and more groups, you'll see a little bit more variance too. So, yeah. so, but yeah, you're um, you're in in really good hands there for sure. NASA will probably be the first session though. We'll be helmets on and and probably going. So yeah, driver's edge. The first session, um, it it was kind of a cool thing for never being on track. Um, you pull up and your instructor, your instructor gets in your car and the first, the first, uh, sessions, no helmets. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of, I guess keeping it under 90 miles an hour, you know, about Uh no helmets. And, uh, he drives your car for like one or two laps, Uh shows you the line and then you hot pit and switch. And then you finish the session, no helmets, which was very helpful. Yeah. That's what we do at, uh, at a couple of different groups that I, I instruct with. Um, I've suggested it at some other groups before and, you know, the lead instructor, whoever's running it looks at me like I'm crazy. Um, probably because they've never experienced it before, but for me, that's the way some of my first track days were. Uh, or at least the ones that were most beneficial to me early on uh, was doing that because you you take the helmet off and you're not in race car driver mode. So especially for a newbie, the moment you put a helmet on, you're like, all right, well, this is getting serious, man. I'm a freaking race car driver. We're going out on track. But yeah, um, but yeah that's one thing that, you know, Driver's Edge uh, did really well. I can't remember. I think I ran a Driver's Edge event at some point when I was in Texas. And they're, they're great. They're yeah. Great. Yeah, they're absolutely. So, um, you know, that's one thing that I think is very beneficial. Uh, the other thing too, if you can't, if, if NASA doesn't do that, uh, there are usually parade laps at the beginning of the event, uh, like right, usually right after the driver's meeting, but before the first Mm -hmm. session. Mm. Um, and you can go out and actually drive, you know, you're not going to have a helmet on or anything. Um, but you can go out and drive the track just to kind of, you know, see where everything goes. Yeah, they did that at the driver's edge. Yeah, um, yeah. Lunchtime though. Okay. A, a yeah, usually time. there's there's parade laps. Um, you know, for most most organizations during lunch, but there's also kind of like a I forget what the actual term is for it. So it's not really parade laps at the beginning. It's more like recon laps, I guess, yeah. where you can go out and kind of check things out. Um, and that's that's usually beneficial too. So if you have that opportunity, um, you know, and your instructor's available, or if there's somebody pitted by you that, you know, knows the track a little bit. In motocross, we call that a sight lap. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really know if it's called a sight lap, but it's the same, same idea. So especially that's real important for, you know, if it's raining or something, you can kind of go out and see where water is pulled up and stuff like that. So yeah, well, I'm excited to check out the NASA and we'll have to do another show afterwards and we'll recon that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I know you, uh, you said you just got a helmet too. uh, Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Um, we had some people asking about uh, SA 2010 versus SA 2015 helmets right now. Yeah. So and, I know, uh, yeah, there was somebody that posted up in, in Track Midwest this morning, or I guess more this afternoon, asking about uh, SA 2010 versus SA 2015 and how good the helmets, you know, are good for. Uh, general rule of thumb is 10 years from that date. So if it's SA 2010, it's good for 10 years until uh, 2020. 
So, so five years from now. Yep. Or four years, I guess. Yeah. But they usually um, run another year after. So about five yeah. years. Yeah. So every organization's a little bit different. Um, but, you know, for the most part, everything that I've seen this year, uh, you know, you can run your 2005 helmet here in 2016 uh, through most of 2016 from a lot of organizations. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it's due to the fact that a lot of the 2015 helmets were kind of late in delivery and things like that. Um, obviously it's a newer spec, so technically it, it should be an even tighter spec. Um, but for the most part, uh, right now, if you, if you're planning on doing a lot of events, uh, a 2010 helmet might be a good idea cause you can get a steal on them. <laughs> Uh, you know, I bought a 2005 helmet in 2010 when I was doing my first track days and that thing five years in that thing. And it is beat. It is super, super rough. So I, I would want a new helmet, you know, every five years anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I'm a nerd and research everything. I go down rabbit holes on the internet until uh-huh. I exhaust every possible source. And, uh, I figured out that the difference between a 2005 and 2010 was, was a lot. But the difference between a 2010 and a 2015 is less. Yeah. Th- this refresh around, and uh, I looked and and I f- and I found a um, HJC AR uh, AR10 2. So it's the I guess the lower level HJC helmet, uh-huh. and I guess retails for around four hundred dollars. Okay. I think three ninety nine. I'd have to look to check. But I got this thing for two hundred and thirty nine dollars. It's not know, bad. Free shipping, and I mean that's almost half half price. And I figure in five years this thing will be beat. Yeah. So, and if you buy a two thousand and ten right when the new ones come out, and then you can just every five years get a new do, helmet do the right same when thing. the new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Just 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 operate on the same cycle. Yeah. You know, I know there was another question too. It might have been the same same person that had posted up. Asking about like what the difference is between a nicer helmet and uh, you know a less expensive yeah. helmet, um, and for the most part, from what I've seen, it comes down to comfort and quality of materials. You know, all the helmets have to pass a minimum you know test uh, to keep you safe. Um, some of them might be stronger than others, but you know, it's still that minimum one still has to pass the same requirements as that that upper one. Sometimes the higher end ones, and I, I can speak to this because. In my motorcycle days, I strictly wore a rye. I have an Arai motocross helmet in my yeah. closet right now. And yeah. when I had street bikes, I wore rye helmets. I'm I'm kind of a, a nerd for Arai helmets, but the uh car or the car Arai helmets start at like seven, eight hundred dollars. Yeah. And I'm just not doing enough of events right now and I'm not ready to spend that kind of yeah. cash on one. And so I settled. And uh I like the features of the HJC too. Yeah. But <clears throat> but uh Anyway, yeah, I can speak to the differences. I mean, you can you can pick up the two and you can tell one's higher quality. Kind of kind of like if you get in a German car, a BMW, you shut the door, it sounds different than you shut the door on a Honda. Yeah. It, you you can tell the build quality is better. And then the, sometimes the higher-end helmets are lighter. Yeah. But sometimes you can find a lower-end one. So it just depends on your preference. Um, you know, and, and, and the guy, when it comes to weight too, the, the guy from Arai, um, here in the States, uh, posted up in a group today kind of about, um, you know, about why an Arai helmet kind of feels lighter than say a Stilo. Uh, you know, somebody had said that they had bought both to kind of like, you know, compare both of them came in at 3.4 pounds, but the Arai felt like it was a little bit lighter. 
which actually came down to having a wider um, port opening at the bottom for your head to go in that kind of kept more of the center of, of gravity for the helmet a little bit lower. So having that weight lower made the helmet feel lighter. Centralized um, mass yeah. almost. And yeah. then the other thing too, uh, Ron Zavendorf at Discovery Parts here at Atlanta Motorsports Park uh, was telling me that I believe for a rye, um, you know, all those helmets come out of the same factory as the motorcycle helmets, but there's only a few people and all they do is specifically work on the the car helmets. And I can't remember if it was 1% or 5% of the helmets that Arai makes are automotive, but that's it. It's a very, very small percentage. And I think there was something like 12 people, only 12 people, you know, make all of the Arai automotive helmets. And that's it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the company. Their, yeah. their motorcycle helmets are, are, have been great, great yeah. for me. So um, a big thing too is, uh, like, especially for me, I don't have any race shops around. I live uh, kind of outside of Houston in a small town. And it's hard for me to get anywhere with with anywhere I can try them on, so it's tough. But if you can go try them on, oh, absolutely, that's huge. Absolutely, the uh, I would say the arise that I've had my motorcycle helmets fit a round head better. I have kind of a big round head, mm-hmm. and so I would say the arise fit that fit better, and the chin kind of will be a little closer than some yeah. of the other ones I've I've tried on. Yeah, and but some people have oval oval heads, and there's different brands that fit. You'd have to try them all on. You know, one thing that really impressed me was um, at Discovery Parts, they actually had an Arai shell. And Ron actually took the thing, you know, took just the the bare fiberglass shell, put it down on the ground and stood on it. And it didn't deflect at all. Like it was just super solid. So that was very impressive to me. Yeah, they're strong. So you just have to to think back on what your needs are, how long you're going to have this helmet, how often you're going to be on a track and think about, you know, if you're only doing two or three events a year and you're spending a thousand dollars. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Three hundred dollars every time you go on track just in helmet cost yeah. for that year. Yeah. So You know, which I is it's funny because for somebody like me, you know, I had my helmet, you know, I, I had a cheap carbon fiber helmet that I think I paid like two hundred and fifty dollars for. Uh, I don't even think the company's around anymore. But um, you know, I spent over let's see, fifty days on track plus like probably twenty days carding and, you know, ten days autocrossing in the thing for like three years straight and it just got nasty so this yeah, time around yeah, i'll be i'll be getting a new helmet this year um and i think i'm going to spend a little bit more money because uh, to your point you know if i buy a 700 hundred dollar helmet for how many times i'm going to be wearing it over the next five years um it's very very little you know very little money per hour that i'll be spending in the thing and don't don't uh, be scared to buy a used helmet too. Some some shells um, or some helmets have the same size large and medium shell or a large extra large shell, and then you switch to padding. Yeah, the, so you the can do big the research thing, and just find like that sport out. bike stuff though with helmets um, is making sure that you know the helmet hasn't been dropped and things like that. Not that it it makes a, a huge huge difference. Um, but the general rule of thumb for safety is that, you know, yeah. a motorcycle helmet, at least street bike helmet has only been, it's only made to oh, be for one impact. I wouldn't buy a used motorcycle helmet, yeah. but I would, I would buy a used car helmet. Yeah. Because, I'm I still, mean, I'm on, on the fence about that one still, man. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be scared. You, <laughs> you can send them in and have them recertified too, if you yeah. want to, yeah. but it just depends on what kind of, you, you always have to just weigh the pros and cons, but but the thing is, if you buy the SA 2010, you know, right when they come out, you're usually getting two or $300 off yeah. right at the get-go. 
So, and that's when, if, if that's your plan, you need to do it as soon as possible because the sizes get snatched up real quick. Oh yeah. And I saw that, um, cause I bought my helmet, I guess a month and a half after they started the discounts and, uh, I had to really hit every website and I finally found, uh, I think it was solo racer.com or okay. yeah. one of those websites I never even get on. And I, I finally found one that had the, the helmet I wanted and the, the color I wanted. I got the black one. Okay. Nice. So, you know, along the lines of kind of saving some money, too, um, my buddy Chris Damon kind of posted up a question about a $15,000 vehicle uh, that he could do everything in, you know, all road, all season type thing. Uh, Kids, if that's even in his future, if you know Chris, you'll laugh at that. Um, But uh, Yeah. yeah, kids and family and stuff like that. A uh, little backstory on that. He rides a motorcycle every day now, and he used to have a a Land Rover until Christmas Christmas time. Uh, he drove it from Atlanta to Chicago, and the transmission went out. So he's currently in the market for a new vehicle uh, around fifteen thousand dollars. So you have any input on that? You know what? Actually, uh, I, yeah, go ahead. I, com- I commented on that thread, and I didn't see the kids part. But the first thing I said was Corvette guy C five Z O six. Yeah. Would be perfect. You yeah. can get those for about 15000 right now. Yeah, the, the other thing, though, too, is that he's kind of looking for something, you know, because I think he posted, what, economical and something. He used two keywords. Yeah, they get about 28 on the highway. Yeah, but consumables <laughs> can be expensive because tires are going to start being expensive. Insurance yeah. is going to be a little bit more expensive than some other vehicles, even though Corvettes are surprisingly cheap to insure. You have uh, to look don't at realize. the demographic that owns them too. It's a bunch of old guys. Yeah, a bunch of old guys that just wax them, and yeah. they don't they don't get as many many wrecks that you'd pay more insurance on a Mustang GT. Yeah, but him being from Chicago, I don't know if he's planning on going back to Chicago. Like, it's a good car, but you know, three Chicago winners and everything, it's doable yeah. for sure. But that's yeah. another that set of snow ingest. tires. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, you know, what, but, what are some, some good options in your opinion? I said no turbos just because I know he really wants an Evo. Uh, and was probably just waiting for me to say Evo, but I'm not going to cause I know Chris yeah. and, uh, you can't, you can't even get, I looked at Evos. You can't get a good $15,000 Evo. They're no. all beat. Yeah, they, they are They're pretty rough beat. and I know how bad he wants one. Um, but at the same time, like looking at full ownership costs as far as consumables and insurance, especially insurance. I would and, not buy one of those cars unless I could get one that has never had a modification and was owned yeah. by an old person. Yeah. Even then, it's hard to tell, though, if it's never had any modification before. You can put it back to stock and, you know, yeah. no one's ever I mean, really going to know. Because I, I know when those cars, when you could lease them and the same thing with the S2000s, I know a couple guys that actually had leased them. And throwing a bunch of parts at them and track the piss out of them and then taking them back to stock and just returned them on the lease and went and got a, a new one and moved all their parts over. Yeah, that is something you can do. <laughs> if you're buying a used car from an individual, though, you have to be sharp. You know, you yeah. can you can look, you can search Facebook. So yeah. You can do a lot of things to find out the history of a car. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, let's see. Other fifteen thousand dollar. Um, we were talking earlier, my, uh, little brother lives with me and he has a Fiesta SD outside. Yeah. Those are getting close to 15. Yeah. I might spend 16. You know, if, if he on wants one. one of those, uh, I would send them towards Matt Fair. I think they still have theirs. I haven't listened to the smoking tire podcast recently. So they I don't do. know if it's, I've, I saw the, yeah, they're asking 19 for it. Okay. 
But yeah, uh, I don't the, know how the, much you could the get buddy, for it. yeah, the buddy hookup uh, talking to Matt is a a lot less. Oh yeah, speaking yeah. of that, real quick, that thing's that thing's serious. So yeah. I mean, it's it's ready to rip. Yeah, uh, I think one of the reasons that he doesn't want one is that he had a Focus SVT for many years. Um, that was my a couple weeks ago when I was in Florida for Christmas. He um chris texted me he was like hey man transmission went out i'm thinking about buying a car up here it's between a focus st uh and a gti and an evo and immediately i was like dude gti gti all day long yeah so, for sure. uh, and then i was like dude just what about fiesta st like that's my answer if i if i needed a car right now i'd go get a fiesta st i'd, I'd buy my i'd buy matt farrow's fiesta st you have to drive one. If you, I've driven my. I just drove it to the gas station uh, two nights ago. If you've never driven one, then you don't understand. It's a riot, they, man. They are stiff. They come stiff and ready. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's and, what that's um, what she said. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> You're right. Here comes the puns. So no, I mean they're they're very good cars. Um, but yeah, I was about to say too. Speaking of Matt Farah. Uh, you know, I was supposed to post that snowmobile powered Miata video this Wednesday. I've been waiting on that. I sent it to Matt and, you know, this weekend and he watched it for me and he was like, dude, this is a really good, like, this is really good for your first video. He's like, but I think really to set it off, uh, you could cut it in half, you know, essentially like have all the same content, condense a lot of the, the, you know, the, the conversation going on in it, condense it down, cut out any of the blank space in between. Uh, and have a you know the same quality video that's a lot faster paced at about four minutes. So I'm like, well, crap. So that's not coming out Wednesday. Um, it, it might come out next week. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna be recutting that. that. It's yeah, so easy to get sidetracked on when we're doing this. But back back to the Fiesta. Have you driven one? I have. You know, I almost yeah. bought one actually. I bought a I almost bought a white one. Uh, that was the, I think it was the ST3 package because it had the Recaros and the Nav and everything. Um, mm-hmm. That's a big thing for me. I don't know if your brother's car has the Recaros or not, but I almost feel like that's a requirement for that car. I don't know why. He he got a good deal on his okay because he, he he's had his for about a year and so okay. it was hard to find a used one when he got his yeah and it has everything but the Recaros. Oh man, it's silver. It has it has the sun. I think it has the sunroof. And it has the bread brake calipers and all that. It just does not have the Recaros. Yeah. He can probably source them out if he wanted to, yeah. to, to get some eventually. Yeah. But, For uh, me, but yeah, the, it's weird, man. The, For me, like any vehicle that I look at, I'm very specific about what I want. Um, like when I was looking at Tacomas, I had to have a double cab, long bed, white um, TRD Sport Tacoma. I'm the same way, man. You're talking to the guy... I flew to Washington D.C. one-way ticket and drove my Corvette back from yeah. Washington D.C. Yeah, that's right. Because it was the only gray, um, the only gray 4LT Grand Sport in the country I could find. Okay. And one thing I will say, again, sidetracked again for for anyone who wants to buy a sports car, but you're looking at something that people don't drive in the winter. Like the Corvettes, the guys that own these things, they don't drive them when it's snowing outside. They yeah. sit in a garage. Yeah. So any car like that, um, I know that some Porsches came up in the past, 996s, you are talking about those. Mm-hmm. Same type of thing. If you buy a car like that in the winter from up north, you get a way better deal on it. Yeah, and most likely it hasn't been driven in the salt, so it's fine. Unless, yeah, exactly. unless you're like me. If I had that kind of money, man, like... I'm just crazy enough that it would get driven in the winter. Like I have yeah. no, I'm weird, so man. I have like no respect for like, <laughs> for, for cars. I'll, I'll take care of it, 
But if I have it, man, I'm going to drive it. Just avoid the one out of 100,000 people like you. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) But that was what I did. I mean, I I got this car at $6,000 under Blue Book because the guy had had it on Autotrader all winter and no one was buying it and he was ready for something new. Yeah. So... So now back but, uh, to the, back to those fifteen thousand dollar cars. Yeah, the, what do you Fiesta? I want to say one more thing about the Fiesta before we go any further. Yeah. Is no one really talks about the power delivery stop on that thing. So when you're thinking about what it what it's like to drive it, you might think about the the Hondas you've driven in the past or something like <laughs> no. that. Where it's like no reverse guts. power delivery from a Honda. Yeah, there's no guts until you know five thousand RPM. The, this Fiesta has a really small turbo on it. Yeah. And so they pull like. It feels way faster than it is. I yeah. mean, it might it, until you tune in and stuff. It's not that fast, but it's kind of like it's kind of like a TDI, man. Like a TDI kind of puts you in the seat a little bit, but it's really not that fast. Like zero to sixty is in like eight seconds. Exactly. I mean, it smiles for miles. Like yeah. if I if I was gonna go to the store, or if I was gonna daily drive a car, I would have way more fun in that Fiesta than I would my Corvette. Yeah. It would just be more fun. You know, I, I feel like the Fiesta, it just kind of seems like a little like, I don't know, like supercharged mouse running around. You yeah, know, that's really yeah. <laughs> that's and, what it feels like to me. And cars have gotten so so much bigger. I have my 96 Integra outside and parked next to each other. My 96 Integra and that Fiesta are the same size. Yeah. You know, I, I you, never sat in the back seat of one. I mean, how comfortable is the back seat for you at six foot? Um, pretty, pretty unusable. Not unusable because it does have a back door. You yeah. know, you're not having to climb back there. Yeah, but yeah, I can, I can, I can sit, I can sit back there. Um, you, you don't want anybody tall in the front. You know, you don't want to be sitting behind a tall person. But yeah. I could, I could for sure, for sure, sit back there. And the seats fold down. It's got plenty of room inside. Um, I, I, I had a Focus rental car. Um, I don't know, a couple months ago, one of my cars broke, and I rented a Focus for a week. And I, I wouldn't buy a Focus ST over a Fiesta ST. No, not no at way. all. No, not it's at barely all. Any, it's barely any more room. Which is really weird because I feel like they've sold a lot more Focus STs than the Fiesta STs. But if well, they you're, came if out you, earlier too. Yeah, that's true. But if you drive them back to back, it just the Fiesta ST is a better car. Yeah, it just, it's it, way from, from a driving dynamic standpoint. You know, obviously, yeah. if you need space, you need space. Um but for the most and part, the I mean, gas mileage is fantastic. Yeah. You know, if my, uh, if my wagon, my TDI wagon gets bought back by Volkswagen or for some reason something happens to it, um, Fiesta ST is on the top of my list. It's Fiesta ST or a, a GTI, you know, those, those two. And so based on that, that's kind of what I'm like, I'm like, cause I'm kind of, to be honest, I'm kind of in the same boat. You know, not not really having an official job right now and just running around doing a bunch of different stuff between grid life and the podcast and the website and freelancing articles here and there. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of money. So 15 is pretty much would be my limit going into a car now and one car to do everything with. It's Fiesta ST or GTI. And if you're only going to have one car, um, don't get the worst evo for 15 yeah. get the nicest fiesta for 15 or the nicest tdi or or jetta or yeah uh civic si yeah um, you know that's another thing that i that's what i said that was my first my first answer for him was civic si you know you two, buy, two door actually, four door civic si you have to worry about them getting stolen but if you want to buy a car you won't lose any value on buy the nicest hundred thousand mile uh integra type r you can find yeah yeah, we, I mean, it would get it get stolen. 
it gets stolen. <laughs> that that would suck. Uh, it gets stolen. But yeah, but it's right around there. But I do know at the same time that he'll probably be financing it. So he needs something a little bit newer. I think it'd be kind of hard to yeah. get just to walk into a bank, a regular bank, and get financing on, yeah. you know, on Integrity. Yeah. Card. If you ever have any issues like that, I I finance with a credit union, mm-hmm. and uh, I I finance my seven three two hundred and. Thirty thousand miles on it when I bought it, yeah, and financed all fifteen thousand, no problem. Same same price bracket. So yeah. you, it, it it really just depends on where you're where you're at. I know credit yeah. unions are, are you know are a lot more likely to do it than uh, than a big yeah. bank is. Yeah, but if you if if you find the perfect car and you don't want to you know just don't give up if you, your main bank won't do it, you can search out and figure out a way. There's always a way. Yeah. So. <laughs> But yeah, um, I'm trying to think of other like cars around that mark. It's weird, like they're all front wheel drive, you know. It's um, yeah, uh, and I think that's a packaging thing too, because I know he's not going to want to spend a lot of money on repairs and stuff. Um, you know, at one point last year, last year he actually had bought a what was it, like a 2004 Mustang. Um, what was the Mach Five, Mach something? Mach one, yeah, Mach one, one. the one with the little shaker scoop. Yeah, so he had one of those, but he drove up to Michigan. I think it had eight thousand miles on it when he bought it last year, and he sold it with twenty thousand miles on it. Um, You know, it was a very, very nice car, but he was so stressed out about it because it was kind of, you know, it was a collector car, and he was putting all these miles on it and yada yada. So yeah, yeah, that um, let's see, fifteen thousand dollars, um. You could probably get into a. You could probably get into a almost a five Mustang, one of the uh, the new one Coyote of the newer ones. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I don't know what insurance is like on those though. So trying to stay economical for them. R- yeah, that would be rougher. That would be worse than the Corvette. Yeah. And, and I think that's why I'm stuck on front wheel drive for this particular situation, um, because that's just going to be most economical. So, and it's going to probably cost less, you know, to insure and stuff like that. So there's a lot of people out there that like, you know, despise, absolutely despise front wheel drive. But to be honest, like spending most of my time in rear wheel drive cars and then going to front wheel drive, it's really not that bad. It's actually kind of nice and really like unstressful, you know, in in the rain, in the rain. Yeah. In the rain, I would much rather be in a front wheel drive car. Like it's awesome just to like huck into a corner. Yeah, um, you can have way more fun at slower speed in a slower front-wheel drive car. I mean, yeah. I guess a, a slower rear-wheel drive car yeah. would be the same thing. You know, my, my buddy Jamie Lugo out in uh, – who's been on the show before out in Arizona is actually selling a K-swapped uh, four-door Integra for like nine grand. Super clean. Uh, you know, I'd I almost – I'd buy that, man. Out of that. Yeah, I would, I would yeah. almost buy that. So Yeah. I, I – I just get scared to to buy something like that for a daily, you know, swapped car. Yeah. But I guess if you know the guy that did it and it's solid. Yeah, and he does he does really, really nice work. If you've seen any of the pictures from West Michigan Honda Meet uh with a purple um eighth gen civic, uh, you know, going around the track on like Evo wheels, it's supercharged. He built that. Um very, very nice and fast car. That would go back to though you're not getting financed on a, a two thousand dollar chassis. No, that would blue book out to two thousand dollars. Yeah, so so you couldn't really you couldn't spend nine on that if you wanted to finance it. Yeah, so um, I mean really, I mean what else is there? Like a couple year old, you know, maybe a Mazda Speed three, but I'm not a big fan of how those drive. Mm, a TDI Sport Wagon. Yeah, TDI. One? I should just sell them my Sport Wagon, man, and then I'll go buy the Fiesta ST. 
<laughs> so maybe that that's work. maybe that's what we'll do. I mean, he he's driven it on a couple trips. Um, you know, he lives here in Atlanta. We drove it up to Chicago. He's driven it on track. Uh, actually, in Matt Farah's M two thirty five video from Grid Life, uh, he mistakenly goes, "Oh, there's Austin in the sport wagon," and it's not me; it's him. <laughs> so what? A, what about uh, E forty six M three? maintenance maintenance he's i know chris and like maintenance Maintenance he'll just good so nothing pretty much nothing german yeah pretty much german cars i mean the gti just because i know that gti's for the most part don't have too many issues um you know one of our friends ryan who actually is roommates with with chris right now has one that has like 130 or 140,000 miles on it and hasn't had any issues and i was talking to you before on the phone and you said you suggest maybe going with the uh, dual clutch over the manual on specifically the the volkswagens yeah you know um, your guns on that or yeah especially if you're gonna get a a transmission tune for that dsg um you know i have the manual which is great uh i didn't have to pay for a tune but at the same time i just german gearboxes in general i've never been very impressed with um, they always feel kind of vague to me and like, I never feel like I can shift them very quick. And I just, I don't know. I just don't like German gearboxes, manual gearboxes that much. The DSG though, I mean, with a tune, it really wakes it up. You can have different like modes for the transmission and shift patterns. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a really, really well-designed gearbox to be honest. Um, you know, looking back now, I kind of wish that I would have got a DSG with mine. You know, I know it's like sounds kind of like blasphemous to say, but at the same time, like a lot of the German cars, I don't enjoy heel towing them as much. Just, you know, a lot of the BMWs and the Volkswagens that I drive, the pedals kind of hinged from the floor and kind of comes up. Uh, You know, it's I can I can do it just fine, Um, but I don't find the pedal placement as enjoyable, the heel toe as, you know, you know, the the, pretty much the S2000, my S2000 was like perfect for and for i have eighty thousand miles on an s2000 and i know exactly what you're saying yeah you it's know, just ap2 i had an ap2 yours is ap2 right yeah yeah mine was an 05 yeah this, i had an 07 yeah dude that, i learned how to hill tow, tow on that car and it's so easy yeah it revs so fast yeah or when the clutch is pulled in and that's one thing if anyone wants to learn how to hill tow just daily a manual car and hill tow every yeah. time you come to a stoplight and well, that, that goes that goes to Ross Bentley's, uh, you know, driving tip from from last week. That's exactly what I did. Uh, I I deliver for my job, so I'm driving around all the time in my personal car. And uh, my that's one thing my instructor said when I started. He was like, "Just leave it in fourth gear because you probably don't know how to hill toe." And I was like, "Man, I can hill toe. Yeah, I'm ready." Yeah, and he was very surprised, and he complimented me on hill toe ability. And that's only from just. And just practicing it on the street. Don't yeah. just put it in neutral. And no, for you, you know, practicing it on the street. I know for me, uh, the secret for me to getting a nice heel toe downshift off was how I came off the clutch. It's how you release the clutch. Like a lot of people I know just like try and like pop the clutch out as quick as possible. And really to get a real smooth downshift, you got to come off the clutch, you know, pretty, pretty easy. Not, not like you're taking off from a stop. But you can't just, you know, come off it real quick. You got to kind of ease it out. And that's what will kind of smooth that transition. Yeah, up. I guess I don't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I subconsciously just do that. I, I can tell you that it is easier to hill toe driving fast. Oh, yeah. Than it is driving slow. Yeah. So if you can if you can do it driving slow and do it smooth, once you get on the track, you'll be. You'll oh, be absolutely. 
So my my favorite, you know, in the S was always kind of like because it was driving fast, it's easier to down to, you know, to get your shifts nice and smooth. Usually it's because you're blipping the throttle a lot more aggressively because you're going to be slowing down, you know, from a higher speed a lot more quickly. Uh, so I used to like fly off of, you know, off ramps um, on the interstate just so I could practice my heel toe and get real aggressive with, you know, with blipping the throttle. Yeah, yeah same here. Clover leaves and yep. anything I could anything I could find. Yeah. How about the transmission on those things? Best manual transmission ever. Yeah, it's uh, it's very, so very impressive. So good. So I kind of miss mine. Um, you know, the the guy that bought it, uh, he's been doing a little bit of work to it here and there. And I think he took it out, you know, had his first track day in it ever uh, pretty recently in it. And hopefully he's loving it just like I did. So, yeah, they're they're fun cars. Mine, they're so reliable. That is one thing. If this guy wants to buy an S two thousand, you can get a very nice S two thousand for fifteen. Yeah, I just sold mine for um twelve five. Yeah, and uh, yeah, um, we had or I had that thing since thirty thousand miles, and the only thing I replaced on it was a clutch at ninety thousand miles, the roof because it wasn't garage. So, and we I turned to put the top down all the time and back up. So where the holes in the roof, they all get that though, the top. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was it. The clutch and brake pads, nothing, okay. no, no alternators, no water pumps, no, 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 nothing. Nice. And I sold it with 138,000 miles on it. Yeah. I mean, that's the way my car was. I did just regular fluids and tires and consumables and stuff. I did one, valve adjustment at 90,000 miles and other than that I didn't do anything to it for pretty much the 80,000 miles that I had it you know I think yeah, I did one motor mount solid. yeah so oh, yeah the, mo- just, the motor mounts on mine were on the way out when yeah I sold it and I told them yeah yeah so but otherwise I mean mine you know mine was great so that's also a good choice uh maybe not the like you were talking about you know it's kind of a small car uh maybe not the most yeah. economical if you're only gonna have one car it doesn't make the most sense um, but I, so I mean, what, you did it, I did it, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly yeah, a feasible. It wasn't, only it, wasn't car. it wasn't bad. I was over it cause I did it for so long. Yeah. But it also depends. I mean, does this guy really need the room or does he not, you know, cause I mean, he has to ask himself. I don't know. Like he said kids. And in my opinion, I was like, what the heck man? Like kids. Yeah. That's why, you uh, know, earlier I was like, if you know, Chris, you'll kind of laugh your ass off about that. But I don't, yeah, I'm not putting kids in an S2000. No. They would fit in a Fiesta ST, though. Oh, yeah. Kids would be fine, especially small kids, if you're yeah. talking about a guy that probably doesn't have kids now. I mean, he would be bored of a Fiesta and ready for a new car by the time his kids got big enough for it to matter. Yeah. So. Uh, that's one thing on the Fiesta ST, um, they're really hard to hill toe in. Are they? The, the, yeah, the pedal, the pedal spacing is, isn't, isn't right on them. The uh, gas pedal is way far down compared to the brake. Okay. Um, they do make a spacer for for like thirty or forty bucks a buy. So anyone that has a Fiesta ST, buy that spacer because you need it. It's oh, tough yeah. to build up. Or just wear just heels, a, just on your on your right foot. That would work. <laughs> that would actually work perfectly if you want to wear heels on your right foot. I mean, by all means, go for it. Yeah, I mean, Chris, Chris might. I don't know. So, but uh, let's see other fifteen thousand dollar cars. I mean, WRX. Yeah, WRX might work. He had a Subaru before. I think he said Subarus are kind of out of the question. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, a Droop Eye wagon would be kind of cool. Or even like a Hawkeye wagon would be sweet, like WRX. Yeah, you could get a nice one of those for 15 Yeah. Um, let's see. I don't know what else. Um, 
first gen CTSV. Yeah, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a bad option. So I hate the interiors in them, and oh, they're terrible. Yeah, <laughs> they're terrible. Yeah, but I mean that's uh you know that's a a good motor in that car. You can get it with a manual. I mean that's a that's a good it option all, too. Only comes with a manual, so. Oh yeah, that's right. So yeah. it's not like the because I think some of the yeah the newest ones, the supercharged ones, you can get in manual and automatic. Yeah, I think the automatic's yeah. actually more prevalent in the new cars. Yeah, um, the manuals are rare. Yeah. Man, I would love a manual wagon. Yeah, CTSV wagon, man, white with Recaros. Didn't it make very many it's of like them? It's like the the unicorn wagon right there. Yeah, they're proud of them too. You yeah. can't really get one for less than sixty right now. Yeah. So I'm trying to think, man. What else for fifteen? Uh, it's fifteen a, well, that, you, that you could have as an only car. There's lots of stuff that you can do, but you can't do with kids. Yeah, and it's just it'd be yeah. a compromise on on certain fronts. You know, he, he said kids and friends and. Um, you know, yeah. friends, that makes the Fiesta ST a little bit harder too, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, but I don't know. I, I say just get the car you want and then figure the rest out. Well, then he's going to end up, he's going to end up with a damn Evo then. <laughs> no, I'm saying like, if you wanted a smaller car, just go yeah. for it yeah. and, and figure out the rest of the stuff when you get there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know anything about Evos, but I do know they break a lot. So yeah, I mean they can be reliable. I I've driven a few, and you know I've been, I was really impressed with driving them. It just made everything super super easy. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I anytime I'm at the track, I see a guy in an Evo, and either he's in like the beginner group and like never has a touch of thing on the car, or he's like intermediate, advanced, or like time trials, and he's just working on the thing every I, single every after every single session. I looked at him because. Whenever I sold the S2000, um, before I, I, the S2000 had been up for sale for a while, and I was just going to get a bigger daily before I realized I wanted a truck and trailer too. That was before my first track day. So the S2000 was up for sale for, for a good minute. So I was deciding what I wanted for a daily, and I almost bought a Fiesta ST, actually. Oh, yeah? And, uh, and or did, I mean, I almost went and looked at some. You know, mm-hmm. and me, if I go look at something, it's coming home. Yeah. That's how I, how I work. <laughs> And uh, I surfed the Evo forums heavily and looked at all the cars for sale. Looked on Auto Trader, and you're not getting one for fifteen. No. Like you're not getting one you want. You want not a good one. So, no, no, no. You will. You would get a so many. You could get a way nicer S two thousand. Way nicer. Um, a, a lot of other cars. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe a ten thousand dollar truck. And a five thousand dollars spec Miata, like I almost bought this weekend. Oh, that's um, a hell of a decision right there. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call. Yeah. So, but I know he won't do it. A, he doesn't have space where he's living right now, and B, he wants something that's a little bit faster to enjoy on the track. So, which I get, you know. But I, I say, if you're having a kid, you probably have a chick and let her haul the kid around and get a vet. Yeah, which see, he's been dating this girl, which is just kind of like funny though about the kids thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's now, going I don't, on. I don't want to harp too much on that, but if you want the best car for your money and you want to spend fifteen thousand dollars and you don't care about interior, buy a C five Z O six or even a C five. Uh, I guess the notchback or the coupe. The FRC coupe. man. I've seen a couple FRCs yeah, for FR- like fixed risk, fixed for fixed eight coupes. eight grand, man. Yeah, or the nicest one in the world for fourteen. Back when I this summer, this summer when I wanted to really build a C five for the track, that's what I was gonna do. I was gonna buy. Yeah. I found like a pewter, pewter. The pewter ones are always the cheapest ones for FRCs, um, but you can find them for dirt, dirt cheap, like less than ten grand for one yeah. that's most likely been babied. And you know, it just yep. 
That's a good car. Or or even, I mean, for 15, you can get into a Z06, which is even better. And, yeah. Uh, they're 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 ready the um i mean the, the problem at, at 15 for a z06 at least when i was looking this summer when the weather was nice was that most of them were higher mileage examples so you're gonna yeah. be you're gonna be going through a lot of stuff anyway like i i would have been changing out suspension and stuff anyway i was under the impression that um the brakes were the same on the z06 the c5s as they were on the base yeah. cars i'm pretty sure they are yeah it was just just motor about them but it was just motor so essentially i could if i was going to be refreshing the motor anyway I could just go ahead and take a base car and refresh that motor and do cams and everything, or you know, put a put the Z06 motor in the base car and have yeah, the same car a, for less. There's a, there's a couple other things, um, and it's going to be cheaper to insure. Yeah, you'd have to check on that. Um, cars are getting older now. I, I can't say any of that stuff for sure because I haven't checked into it personally. But but either way, you could get a hundred and twenty thousand mile. Z06, or you could get a 65,000 mile uh, fixed roof coupe. Yeah. I mean, whichever, whichever you want. They're both both great cars. Yeah. And the consumables, when you say consumables, they're not. I mean, it, you can run 275s all the way around if you want to. Yeah, that's what I think most guys do. Yeah, yeah. Some guys run 315s, 305s, but you can run 275s all the way around. The You can get the centric brake rotors off Tire Rack, free shipping. They're super cheap. And, yeah, uh, I mean, it's a, it'd be a decent only ready. car, but at the same time yeah. too, you know, it's, uh, if he's wanting to move back up North, you know, it's not a, the best winter car. I don't um, know anything about winter driving. Yeah. So that's your, I mean, <laughs> it's not, I listened to the, uh, another podcast drop. I listened to the, uh, everyday driver guys. You yeah. Know, some of those guys. Yeah. And they, they, they live, uh, up North and they talk a lot about winter, like Seattle or like Washington or something, isn't he? Yeah, somewhere up there, Utah. I know they're close to the the Miller the Miller track. Yeah, I guess it's Utah. And uh, they harp all the time on that uh, show about you can drive any rear wheel drive car, just buy winter tires. Yeah, and you're fine. Yeah, you can. And you're fine. The the one of the guys on there uh, daily's a BRZ with winter tires. Yeah, but at the same time, that's a BRZ with like 150 foot pounds. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, you can you can drive anything in the winter, yeah. But you put it's the just, Corvette in fifth gear, and you don't go over two thousand RPM, and yeah. you're not gonna. I mean, it's gonna be the same thing. Yeah, but I mean, where's he gonna put his kids? That's the thing. No kids. <laughs> you, you let him ride in your chick's car. See, so again, we just I keep coming back to Fiesta ST or GTI, yep. and I mean, the, we've the, I think we've the, beat the subject for like twenty minutes now, if not more. Okay, well, to switch something. The Fiesta ST ruined so many cars for me. Yeah, the same price bracket. Yeah. After I drove it, I was like, "There's, there's nothing that that can touch this for the no. price." Like if you in that price range, like brand new at the twenty five k mark, like it's maybe FRS or actually more now. I'd lean lean towards like the ND Miata, um, or the Fiesta ST. You're talking like brand new at the twenty five k mark, but yeah, yeah, and you can get a Fiesta ST out the door for twenty two if you don't. Yeah, get they're really options. yeah they're not really well. Even then, they're not selling that great to be honest. For some reason, yeah. people just don't don't like it as my much brother as, bought as they thought it was going to for close like a little under 19 mm-hmm. out the door last year um with like ten thousand miles on it yeah so so um, if you so want one and you like the blue heck man i'd go i'd talk to matt farah i'm still yeah, trying to i'm trying to figure out how to get that car man you should buy that car just just buy it and figure it out yeah but i mean i should probably get a job first because because that car has <laughs> 
What, All the Cobb Cob Stage 3 parts on $5, it. $5,000 worth of parts on it. Yeah, already. it's got 14,000 miles on it, like super low miles. That's more than, like, for me driving to California and then to Chicago, I do more than 14,000 miles. It's got Pilot Super Sports on it. Yeah. It's got good tires on it. Yeah. Ready to go. So yeah, I would I would I would buy that for you. All yeah. right, let's 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 change it up. We've been talking about fifteen thousand dollar cars for a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, you I know you got the I questions was, open a little bit. Say what? I thought you had the questions on Facebook open. Oh no, I was looking at my notes here on oh, my okay. computer. Okay. I was following um I I'm a member of the uh, track Midwest deal that y'all post on all the time uh-huh. too. And they were um man, there was just a barrage of memes and uh I think I actually started about, that. <laughs> about about grid life. Why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on with that? Everyone was freaking out yeah, about so we, not being able to get grid life spots. Last week we talked about it. So so grid life is kind of this event that does HPDE, time attack, drifting, uh high high level car show and a music festival all in, you know, two, three days. How do y'all have enough time to fit all that? Um, I mean, is HPD just one in, just beginner in advance? Like, no, it's it's still time? HPD. Uh, last year we had a beginner, two intermediate sessions, I think, and an advanced session, and then time attack. So, uh, so just, how many sessions per group do they get each day? Uh, usually four, I think, for four? the um, so that's yeah a full day. Yeah, so usually that's four each day. That's some awesome scheduling, light to dark, huh? Yeah, well, not even then. I mean, it gets uh, it gets dark pretty late, um, but usually we stop running the track around five. So just just good good scheduling. I mean, you think about it; most groups have you know five six run groups. Um, so it's uh, it's one of those things that it's really not too bad. You think about it, if you have four four run groups that are twenty minutes a piece every hour on the hour. Um, that's, mm-hmm. you know, from pretty much when the track goes hot at nine till the track goes cold at five, you're talking eight sessions. So, you know, if you get four sessions, four sessions each, you can have eight different, you know, eight different run groups at 20, you know, and that's, that's not taking lunch. So obviously it's going to be cut down a little bit. So, but yeah, you can have eight different run groups, um, and they can each get four 20 minute sessions a day if you're running throughout the whole day. So it's really when, it's not as hard you, as you think. Yeah. So what was the what what was everyone? See, I'm not going to the the Gingerman event, but uh-huh. I'm trying to get everything ready to where I can make the uh, eight hour road trip to the Atlanta event. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to sign up for that. So what what is the the tips to getting in, and why didn't people get in, and what is going Man, on? Man, just be as ready as you can to pull the trigger on your your driving tickets. So the big thing with Grid Life is that it's extremely popular. Um, there are only, you know, X amount of driver spots because we only have so many groups, uh, and each group can only hold so many cars to still be safe on track to where people get enjoyable track time. Um, so essentially what happened, we opened up half of our spots for presale, which was for previous drivers and things like that. They got a a special code and whatnot. Uh, everything ran fine on our end. You would go to the website at 11 and Eastern and be able to sign up. Um, unfortunately, all those first pre-sale spots actually sold out. Pretty much half the spots sold out. Well, not half the spots. Half the spots were pre-sale spots and that we opened up uh, last Thursday and they sold out in four minutes. So 
pretty ridiculous. We actually sold like 50 time attack spots, I think. Um, pretty nuts. And then the so, next day... So for the people who who had pre-sale and didn't get in on pre-sale, then they had to try again on conventional opening. Is that how it would work? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So it's almost like trying to buy concert tickets or something like that. You know, like mm -hmm. everyone kind of rushes. They know what time they need to sign in. And when they're gone, they're gone, man. Like uh, what was happening a lot, people would put them in their cart, you know, the tickets, they put them in their cart. And then by the time they went to check out, you know, it already been sold out. So we're, we're kind of for the next events, we're looking at maybe changing some things as far as the ticketing system goes to where when you click add to cart, it kind of, you know, saves it um, and takes it out of the queue and will return it after X amount of time. Um, there's a bunch of different things that we're, we're looking at doing. So it's, um, but yeah, like That's people, a tough spot. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's one of those things that it just, it's the way it is. And really it's, I don't want to say it's going to get worse, but the more people that are interested in the events, we still, we can't have any more than, you know, those driver, those amount of driver spots, unless we go to a different facility that either has like a five mile long road course or might have two courses that we can run simultaneously, which uh, would be nice. But at the same time, that's a lot, a lot going on. Um, yeah, you know, you it's have a to lot have... going on. But with twice as many driving tickets, you know, you can have twice as much staff, uh, I would guess. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that's twice as much parking that's needed and the same size facility. Yeah. So and then you have to have, um, you know, depending on how many beginner spots there are you have to have twice as many instructors we're actually doing some stuff changing some stuff up with instructors this year uh we're gonna have a instructor training that uh, that we're gonna be doing and things like that so um really big things that we're hoping to to kind of build a program that uh you know can have some some good growth and essentially just put on the best events for you guys well i'm looking forward to the atlanta event is there um, that's a would I assume a bigger facility? Is there more spots at the Atlanta event? Oh yeah, would, ab absolutely. Um, not not spots? as far as driver spots. Um, we haven't quite figured that out yet. Um, but really, at the same time, you know, we can only have X amount of cars in you know in a run group driving on track at the same time yeah, for safety. Yep. So. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's only so much we can do as far as driver spots. So, um, you know, there is a wait list. We might develop some other other things to where, you know, X amount of spots are reserved for the end for different contests and things like that where people can win, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it's everything's open for discussion right now. I wonder, uh, since this is almost becoming more of a social event than a conventional track day, it's like you're sticking to the same formula as every other track day where you have the four sessions, but this is a, this is no, no one does this. This is a one and only event. So maybe if you did three sessions, I could open up some more driving spots. Um, it might, uh, right now we're trying to kind of hone what we have down, um, yeah. you know, and just kind of, kind of go from there. So it's, uh, we, you think about it. If you, what if you did your first track day weekend and you had two less sessions? You know, yeah, I mean, where where would true. you have been? Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. It's almost like this is becoming more than just a track day. Oh, it's always been more than just a track day. Yeah. So, so we we started this so that our regular track day that was gaining popularity, uh, West Michigan Honda Meet that Chris Stewart runs. Um, pretty much, we started Grid Life so that. 
that would be kind of um, protected, you know, so that could be the normal track day. And then grid life becomes the not so normal track day. It's more of an experience doing some wheel to wheel. Yeah. Yeah. But that's going to be after the normal track goes cold. So after the rest of the stuff, I think we might have some some endurance stuff going on. So nighttime endurance. Yeah. So, yeah, so there is a lot going on, um, bringing out a decent amount of vendors uh, already signed up, you know, so uh, and we're a week, not even a week into registration. And then you have the whole other event in August. Yeah. So um, it's uh, it's going to be good, man. There's uh, there's a lot of people that are really excited about it and we're really excited about it ourselves. So. But yeah, man, I think I might have to sign off here. It's looking like we're nearing about an hour and a half. Pretty late. Yeah, and I gotta be up in about four hours to cook breakfast for Jessica before I head to uh, to Charlotte. <laughs> All so. right, man. Well, get some rest. I'll sign off now. And cool. Uh, yeah. Anytime, Adam. Adam gets sick, I'll step in. All right, man. Well, I appreciate Hopefully it. The listeners are okay with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you started as a listener yourself, so you know what you want to hear. Yeah, that's true. So, well, we appreciate it, man. All right, take it easy, bud. All right, man. See ya. And now for today's driving tip with Ross Bentley. So the handling characteristics of oversteer and understeer. This time I'm going to talk about understeer. And what understeer is, is when you turn into the corner and you want to go on this arc around here, you turn in, but the car doesn't steer as much as you want. So it's understeering. Again, it's not something that, that I'm doing as a driver. It's I've turned in and the car is not steering as much as I want. It's not turning as much as I want. So the car is understeering. And if you think about it, what's happening there is the front tires don't have as much traction as the rear tires do. So the rear tires are trying to drive the car forward. The front tires are trying to make it change direction. Rear tires win and they keep driving the car more forward. So the car plows, pushes, you know, in uh, in, Na- in NASCAR, they talk about the car pushing um, because the car doesn't turn as much as you want because it pushes or plows straight ahead. It's, uh, that's what understeer is. Now, so how do you control understeer? The way to control understeer is two ways. One is, first of all, the natural instinct when you turn in and the car does not steer as much as you want, the natural instinct is going to be to turn the steering wheel more. But think about it. It's actually not going to help. In fact, it could actually make things worse because you're turning the tires at an extreme angle to the point where they're not gripping the road more or their track more. So what you really want to do is actually just bring the wheel back just that tiny little bit. Bring the tires back to an angle that they can start to grip the track again. And that's what you do with the steering wheel. So you bring it back just a little bit. That takes practice. You know, ideally you're gonna spend time on a skid pad or somewhere where you've got some time on a track where you're gonna be able to really experience that. Driving in the rain on a racetrack is a perfect time to, to experience that. So that's what you do with the steering. The second thing you wanna do is you wanna manage the weight in the car. You wanna actually transfer weight onto the front tires to give them more traction. The way to do that is very simple and unfortunately very very natural for you. When you have some understeer, instinct kicks in and you lift your foot off the throttle, off the gas pedal. And when you do that, that transfers weight forward. When you transfer weight forward, it puts more weight on those front tires, giving them more grip. So again, understeer is when the car does not steer as much as you want. So the car plows or pushes straight ahead. The way to to handle uh, understeer is first of all, just to bring the wheel back a tiny little bit and then just ease your foot off the gas pedal, off the throttle, to transfer weight forward onto it to give the front tires more traction. For more on Ross and Speed Secrets, visit speedsecrets.com.